This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. When we think about artificial intelligence in oil and gas, it's easy to think about the big heavy equipment, the rigs, the vehicles. But there's a lot of ways to unlock the data of oil and gas uh, from our equipment, uh, from our back office operations. And in this episode, we explore a number of them. Our guest this week is Lorena Pellegrin. She's the product manager for Iron Mountain's Insight product, uh, focused on the energy sector. She has a background in energy. Iron Mountain is a $4 billion multinational storage company who's now working on digital storage and OCR in a number of industries, uh, oil and gas and energy being one of them. We speak about three different topics in this 30-minute interview. It's a lot to fit in, and there's a lot of interesting use cases and ideas flying. Subsurface data asset inspection, and setting up digital twins. So a lot of interesting ways of unlocking data that Lorena walks us through, and I hope you'll get a lot of value out of this episode. This episode was sponsored by Iron Mountain. Without further ado, we're going to roll right in. This is Lorena with Iron Mountain here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Lorena, uh, I want to be able to kind of dive into these various use cases of how artificial intelligence can start to unlock the value of data in the oil and gas space and make this really tangible. I know the first category we wanted to talk about was really around the value of subsurface data, that there's a lot of subsurface data, obviously, in the oil and and gas domain. Can you walk us through a little bit what kind of data that is and, and how AI can help us get a little bit of value out of it? Yeah. So as you were, as you pretty much uh, have put it there, that we have a lot of different kinds of data, uh, multiple document types, vast amounts of unstructured data there in many different formats. You have tapes, you have paper. You, we also have uh, new digitally born data that it, that it also plays a role. Uh, there are multiple repositories, so you have um, different sources of truth there that uh, that need to be. Um, orchestrated. So what this translates into um, across, pretty much across all uh, subsurface data evaluations, all the, the use cases that we have in that kind of, in that cluster of use cases, is really seeing an inability to find key data uh, quickly. So people spend most of the time uh, really searching for data, and this is and this is a manual, manual and time-consuming and resource-intensive workflow, right? So, so what happens there is that decisions, evaluations, and decisions they take a lot longer. Also, the coverage of the analysis that uh, the teams are doing is much is much reduced. So you don't have you don't you cover up to 20 percent of the data that you have. That also translates into reduced accuracy. So you're seeing that teams are making decisions with high levels of uncertainty. So what we see is that if teams have access to digital versions, digital data, and uh, to the metadata associated to, to those, really processing time can be uh, can be reduced dramatically and time to decision can be reduced and confidence and decisions associated with drilling in new uh, new places with acquisitions um, considerations asset divestiture all those can be can be significantly improved yeah so let's talk a little bit about some of those decisions people have to make so Right now, you know, getting the picture, and I'm sure it's no surprise to most of the folks tuned in, that you know we've got some pretty stodgy sources of data. It's a very old industry, relatively speaking, and we've got a very kludge, ugly kind of bundle of however much of it we have. It's, it's not very well harmonized. It's not very well organized. 
Can you talk a little bit about when it comes to this subsurface data specifically, what kinds of data, as an example, are we talking about, number one? And number two, what kinds of decisions are we using to have that data help inform? And, and maybe we could use those as, as an example to help people imagine what you're talking about here. Right. So uh, typical typical types of data are really seismic data, but yeah. also well logs. So that's measurements on a well and also all the reports around it. This type of data, like well logs, are, are, are huge documents. So, yeah, those are paper. So those are paper documents that are not easy to digitize, right? Also, so the decisions around it, we think we can help around drilling decisions or and also decisions around acquiring new assets or even uh, divesting assets so those are those are the main decisions that really geoscientists have around around those those types of data okay so for a well for example might the information we're looking at be you know how much did this how, how many whatever we measure, barrels. How many barrels did this well produce under these circumstances with this kind of equipment at what time, et cetera, et cetera? Is it kind of production related? Is it maybe safety related? I imagine it sounds like it's a very long document, these well reports, and it sounds like it's also coming through in paper. I would presume a lot of the value is in how much these things are producing, but maybe you could tell me if, if they're used for other purposes as well. Yes. Yeah, so, so what the geoscientist is looking for is to find what type, what type of formation is there. So, the drillings that are done for wells have information around what is, what are the properties, what are the properties of the subsoil there, and there are different types of soil like like sandstone or limestone, yeah, uh, yeah. which which are indications of the presence of hydrocarbon there. So. Uh, so geoscientists are targeting this kind of good wells, right? So it is a lot about it is a lot about looking for and finding the right soil composition and formation. Got it. Okay. So so when I when I hear well as somebody who does not spend his full time in oil and gas, which is borderline forgivable because you know we focus on a dozen industries here. When I hear well, I think a place that we pump black gold out of. But what you're talking about is a hole in the ground that we may pump black gold out of. So a well right. is, is something that it's just, it's just a damn hole. And maybe there's something there, maybe there's not. But the decisions are, do we want to keep drilling? Do we want to focus resources here? And maybe to your point, if we can drink in that data from those different, all those different wells and be able to kind of visualize this stuff and at least make sense of it, we'll know where to allocate those resources and where we have a more promising potential. And it sounds like that's one of the values here of digitizing and organizing well well data, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great, great. Cool. Teams, teams are spending too much time looking for the right, um, the right type of data there. Yes. And we, we see that AI or our ML can help these teams find the data and process the data much, much faster. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And, and I imagine a good deal of this has to do with Tell me if I'm wrong here, Lorena, but having an understanding of, of your company from, you know, work with you guys for a little while, I would imagine that the digitization of these myriad, somewhat chunky paper forms is one part of the process here, you know, using some kind of optical character recognition stuff and working with historical records and maybe congealing yes. and digitizing that. And then maybe the other part of it is connecting the dots and identifying things. So within this big, ugly, wacky, well drilling report, where is the part that tells me 
this content of this kind of soil? Because it's such a big, custom, crazy long report. How can we zoom in on the parts of it that actually matter? I would presume there's the digitization and then kind of like the the searching and distilling of those tidbits that that matter to us. Is it is it that where sort of AI yeah. is able to, to layer the value? Yes, absolutely. So the value that we're that we're seeing there is, of course, with the natural language processing part of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. of AI. Yeah. So the OCR, optical character recognition, is allowing then teams to really uh, perform an elastic search and find characteristics, as I was mentioning, sandstone or limestone or whatever other yeah, um, yeah, characteristic yeah, yeah. that you are that you're interested in, finding it very quickly. Computer vision. Computer vision is also helping. Uh, so, so we're able to find the targets, so that the right the right type of soil where we want to where we want to um, to further continue working. We're able to find it not only uh, by the text, but also by how those photographs and how those documents look. So that is what also what computer vision, in terms of image similarity, for example, is allowing teams. Yes. Got it. And, and um, you know, just you mentioned mergers and acquisitions as a really important part of subsurface data. Again, as an outsider, I think about, okay, if I'm Shell Gas and I want to do business with the other players, um, it would be very helpful for me to instantaneously say, okay, let me search through all of their limestone wells and search for these kinds of criteria. Or let me search through all of these other kinds of wells based on these georegions and search for these kind of criteria and be able to really assess what do these people own? What am I interested in? How much promise do I think there are in, in these, these wells that somebody else owns? That, that's, that's where my head goes when it comes to mergers and acquisitions value for AI yes. here. But you let me know, Lorena, where, where does M&A, where, where does this data come in in terms of the, the real value for, for potential M&A? Yeah, so um, if, like, for example, right now with the um, economic downturn with COVID, right? So if you have a, if you're a company that wants to acquire, is considering acquiring a smaller operator, a smaller upstream operator who are likely to be suffering right now. If you are, if you're looking at potentially acquiring those assets, you want to go, you want to go through, let's say, a collection of the assets as fast as possible. And you want to be, you want to be very focused on your search. So if you have the right data, as, as I was mentioning before, because you have access to text processing through OCR, um, if you have the metadata associated with the information of those assets, you can prioritize your search. Because at the end of the day, it's, okay, I'm searching for which operator or which, which company would be better for me to, to acquire. So I want to make sure that their assets are, are in the best shape possible and, and the potential the potential behind those assets is the, is the best. So through this faceted search based on metadata, and visual image similarity, what you get to do is you jump from one asset to another, kind of like in the right order. So you focus your resources so that you can come to the best possible decision in the shortest time. Okay, This is how mergers and acquisitions teams can, can benefit from, from that. Got it. Okay, cool. And then that's useful context just in terms of that. The M&A process for energy, I imagine, is somewhat new for some of the listeners. So hopefully that, that information was helpful. I know that asset inspection is another big part of the game here. And to be honest, Lorena, you know, when I think asset inspection and I think oil and gas, I think about, you know, we've had a lot of great interviews on, on the, the computer vision side of this equation. So 
uh, mm-hmm. drone deploy, for example, was on talk about what they do in, in the energy space um, with drones and, and video data to look at, you know, and inspect assets. AT&T does something similar with some of their, you know, mm-hmm. hard infrastructure out in the world. You know, there are towers out there that they need to inspect periodically. But, uh, you know, you folks are obviously more in the, the NLP and the search and discovery space. Where does um, asset inspection, where does AI kind of fill that gap for asset inspection there? Yes. Yeah, so uh, where I see um, the, the, be- the or let's say the most natural place for uh, document based uh, AI is really for brownfield, brownfield assets where, where there's a, a lot of unstructured content already available. And really what, um, what can be done is to, is to merge it with what you were just mentioning. So if there's if, um, new sources of data from, from remote inspections through uh, drone footage or even satellite image, right? So what, what can be done is to consolidate those new sources of information with the digital data out of the uh, legacy data or pay- and paper data from those existing assets, from those uh, uh, brownfield developments, and really have a more complete picture, more complete picture in order to prioritize your maintenance, your maintenance tasks. Got it. Okay. And are there any particular examples that you like to walk folks through, you know, hypotheticals that kind of make this visual in people's mind? Because I see where you're headed, but I'd love to kind of crystallize a little bit on, on this asset inspection yes. side of things. Yeah. So, so, um, and also if you, oh, sorry, if you wouldn't mind the word brownfield, probably new for some of the folks tuned in too, that'd be helpful if you could tune us into to what that means. Right. So brownfield as opposed to greenfield. Brownfield means an existing installation or existing existing facility, whereas greenfield is a new facility, right? So it would be a new asset or new development. Got so, it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's why um, we think that any AI, document AI related to existing assets would be very beneficial. So it's not only about the new data that we're capturing, but also all the context around that asset that has been captured by others previously and that is typically captured in unstructured way on the form of reports and, 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 and sheets and others, right? Um, or if there, if there have been, uh, of course, maintenance reports, but also accident reports, perhaps. So every asset also kind of has its own personality. And there is, and there is a lot of information there. And where I see that is really around the metadata. So a footage or an image or even a, or even a cloud point uh, scan it cannot give you all the metadata, cannot give you all the context around that yeah, asset. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. So I, I do see the value there, and and, and you were and you were talking especially uh, about walking through examples, right? So so for in oil and gas, so remote uh, remote assets, right? So pipeline ro- pipeline route inspection and surveillance, that would be a, a, an example there, right? Uh, that would be also related with the uh, with gas utilities. There's a lot of a lot of assets out there. They're aging. They're they're aging assets. So so there's a lot of existing information there. What we're seeing also is the new the new gas mega rule for MAOP reconfirmation for gas transmission pipelines. So that is a maximum allowable operating pressure for gas transmission pipelines that are that that went on operation up to 1970s. So all those assets, all those assets are going to have a lot of legacy data, a lot of reports. 
and the requirement from that mega rule is that op operators are going to have to demonstrate that their pipes, that their systems are operating under that maximum allowable operating pressure. And they even have a requirement for so-called uh, traceable, verifiable and complete records. So we see that is also a use case where AI is going to make the work a lot easier for the people yeah. that have to really go back to those records, um, look at them and, and demonstrate that in, in disparate records like, like material test reports, alignment sheets, spill drawings, that you see the same, the same pressure, let's say. In, in those documents. So, so we're seeing, we think there's a lot of potential document AI for, uh, for existing assets there. Also, we're seeing um, in renewable energy, in renewable energy, uh, we're seeing different multiple cases also on remote inspections for uh, wind farms. So where also where, where drone footage is, uh, is being used to identify um, potential uh, also prioritization of maintenance tasks there. So we'll see a parallel there that a lot of what is done in kind of like older assets um, in oil and gas and even uh, gas utilities or, and electrical utilities can also be transferred to renewable energy assets. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, and that uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down here where basically you know, if we take a look at computer vision data and we get a sense of, all right, how does the equipment look? You know, do we see any rust? Do we see any, you know, pieces or parts that don't look the way that they should or what have you? That's one part. But then there's also, you know, pressure and all the data kind of streaming yep. off of the thing itself, which is not visual, but has to do with gauges and, and other ways that information can be collected. You know, obviously, that's a big part of inspection as well. And it sounds like one of the factors here is that there's there's going to be some new regulation around how tight and how on point those records have to be for some of these older pipelines. You know, they're they're going to have to have really on point records because yeah. maybe there's some environmental risk or something. So the government's going to kind of crack down on them. So it sounds like being able to be transparent with all that data is going to be potentially of higher value than it than it even was in the past. Absolutely, absolutely. It. And it's going to help a lot also um, compliance teams. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's going to make their lives uh, much easier. And what we're also seeing is that as oil and gas companies are really transitioning or, or um, starting to transition into um, into renewable and energy efficiency, they're going to start also to be uh, subject to, the, to, to increased regulation. And we see that that is going to be um, um, of real help for them, yeah. Got it. And, and uh, it's really funny to see how often compliance considerations sort of drive interest in, in artificial intelligence, because getting people to change is obviously very, very hard. But if the regulatory slap is the consequence and the technology can give you a reasonable ability to kind of you know, get past that regulatory slap, oftentimes that's going to be, a, you know, the avoiding of pain versus the pursuit of something new is often going to be what moves the needle. And it'll be really funny to see if in oil and gas, it's exactly the same case. I know that, that um, is a very good point. <laughs> there's a, a lot of things happening in finance where, ooh, all of a sudden we need more transparency on this kind of information for this California consumer law or for this GDPR mm -hmm. or for this other, you know, banking interest rate London change of some kind where now a lot of our legal docs might need to be compliant in this new way. Well, if we can have a system that can find all those so we're 
slightly less likely to get slapped and have some exception where where we get punished for it, all of a sudden now we've got some budget to adopt tech and maybe in oil and gas it'll it'll be the same. Um, speaking of kind of where things are going, I know you wanted to touch on the topic of digital twins as our kind of third and final theme for the value of artificial intelligence in the energy space. Talk a little bit about sort of why those are valuable, why they're being considered right now in oil and gas, and where AI can find its fit. Right. So um, we see, so digital twin is really um, a digital model of your, um, not only of your assets, but also of your operations. So you see there, we're, we're going to be seeing that the operations of, um, of, of, this, of energy assets are more and more aided by the digital versions or the simulations of those operations. And at the same time, uh, we're going to be seeing all the kind of, all the uh, back office work associated with the operations of the asset, we're seeing, of course, that they are, they are more and more um, uh, digitalized. And this is really what the digital twin is, right? So we, we see that, again, that uh, document AI is going to help, it's going to enable that digital twin uh, or digitalization of op- of operations, both production. I'm gonna I'm gonna say production from the perspective of energy, but also yeah. business operations, right? So in both uh, in both kind of elements of of a business operation, are going to highly benefit from that digital twin uh, view into the processes. And for that, um, we think the document AI can is going to be needed for that. So again, it's going to be about creating a digital a digital version of your plant. So for that, you probably have a lot of unstructured document uh, information around it. So one way of setting up your digital twin is by scanning or even not scanning if it's on paper, but also um, ingesting the information from your digital sources saying, okay, here is, here, here is all my equipment, here's all my pipes, right? And make it available. In a, in, a, in a digital model. So it's not only a digital format, but it's a digital model, um, a simulation of your, of your operations. And um, we, do think, we do think that's going to be of, of help setting up those digital, really digital processes for, um, for energy companies. Yeah, I can imagine a hundred reasons why, you know, we've talked to folks, we've had a lot of great interviews in, in the tangential digital twin domain, heavy industry, mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing, et cetera. You know, my, my tertiary understanding here is that if we can relatively accurately model the interactions of these systems under different conditions, then what we're, we're hypothetically able to do is ask ourselves, well, you know, what would change in the supply chain if we were able to improve production by you know, 4% over the next six months from these sites, or what kind of new demands would be placed over here if, you know, these two wells shut down and we we started drilling sort of up in this area or something like that. And we'd be able to hypothetically see what does this do to our numbers? What does this do to our other systems? Um, and that that uh, sometimes that, that can be part of the value, kind of asking about potential futures and asking about potential impacts and kind of cross effects from, from different things we would do within the business. Right. I'm speaking at kind of an abstract level here, Lorena, so maybe you can make it more tangible, but that's the understanding I have. Where where do you really see digital twins driving value in terms of day-to-day decisions for executives who really need to steer the company? Yeah, it's production optimization, 
as you were pointing. So digital twins is, uh, is not, is, is really, I mean, it's new, but uh, simulations have been there um, 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 since, since, I don't know, since 30, 30, 40 years, right? So this is, it, it's a way to see the what if, right? Like you were yeah, mentioning. Yeah, so yeah, one, yeah. Uh, and, and, and to be able to do it with the latest data, the most up-to-date data, and and basically any time. So to do a simulation, how it how it works, especially also with design, what you do is you get the data, you give it to your to your simulation team, and after um, a week or two, they come with answers to a specific scenarios, right? So this is a way to optimize your operate your operations in a much faster way, right? And so that is that is one use case or one benefit around that. But the other the other uh, benefit really is about is about automating. Uh, your operations so that your back office operations can be more automated. Got it. Yeah. So, so you're saying the simulations is not, cannot just only be for production, but could also be for your core operations on the back office. If you can determine how the workflow of different paperwork or, you know, uh, whether it's HR or whatever, if we can digital twin that, that ecosystem with the right data streams, then we could also understand our capacity and ask those if then questions. Absolutely, and that ah, is, and okay. that is, yeah, and 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 that is also what what uh, robotic process automation is doing, being able to have automated processes that kick off. Let's say, uh, I think the one one um, one vision would be have processes in the back office that are able to kick off. Let's say the procurement of parts that are going to be needed for because because a particular pump is starting to degrade or, or we have signals from the digital twin models and the prevent um, um, predictive maintenance models that are telling us hey this is soon to be replaced right so kick off those procurement processes or even like raise flags telling um, workers that this is something that needs to be done now right so i think it's going to be around automating those those back office processes Got it. Okay, cool. And I, I think when a lot of people hear digital twin, they're, they're presuming we're talking more or less exclusively about uh, you know the hard assets, simulating what happens with these hard assets, this manufacturing equipment, these trucks, you know, these wells. But what you're right. saying is, if we can have the right data streams coming off our internal processes, and that RPA might help to bootstrap this a little bit, we might be able to do the same work there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Okay. Fascinating. Well, Lorena, man, we sure did try to pack a lot into this interview. I know ahead of time <laughs> I was talking about how fast we'd have to go, but we're just at about a half hour and we actually made it. So three great <laughs> topics. You you moved quickly with us and gave us some good examples, which I certainly well, appreciate. So that's all we have for time. But thank you so much for being able to join us on the show. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. My pleasure. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. If you like seeing new use cases come to life on the show, number one, make sure to be subscribed if you're not subscribed to the podcast. Every single Tuesday, we have a use case episode and you're not going to want to miss it. Number two, if you want to have the ability to find use cases in your own industry, pick up on new trends, find use cases others haven't thought of, then consider downloading our three ways to discover AI trends report. It is a free PDF report that you can download at emerj.com slash T3 
Uh, that's T as in trends, and then number three, emerj.com slash T3. That's our three ways to discover AI trends report. Again, if you're interested in use cases and you want to discover your own, you want to find new ways to unlock the value of AI, sort of like some of the interesting use cases we talked about on this episode, then consider downloading at emerj.com slash T3. Outside of that, we're going to be spinning into our Making the Business Case episode on Thursday. I hope you're not going to miss us then. We're going to be talking about the challenges of bringing artificial intelligence into the pharmaceutical industry. Whether you're in pharma or not, the cultural hurdles and difficulty of change management that we talk about on Thursday is going to be something that will be relevant for your business, so be sure to stay tuned. This is Dan Fagella signing off. I'll catch you in the next episode of the AI and Business Podcast.